British Israel Church of God presents The Watchman Program The Watchman says Watch World News Watch Europe Watch China Watch Middle East The Watchman unlocks all Bible prophecy From the past, the present And the world to come And now Evangelist and commentator Peter Salemi Greetings again, everyone. This is Peter Salemi, and welcome to the Watchman program, sponsored to you by the British Israel Church of God. Last time, we talked about the origins of Christmas. We talked about the origins of the Christmas tree and the holly wreath and the orbs and bulbs, which were symbols of sex and fertility. We talked about the origins of Santa Claus and the origins of that date, December 25th how it all stems back to sun worship of the ancient pagans. You know, it would be interesting. It would be an interesting experiment if we could take a time machine, go back into time, and fill it up with, fill up the time machine with ancient Babylonians, Greeks, Assyrians, Egyptians, and Phoenicians, and project them forward into time into our modern space age, America, Canada, Britain, and the rest of, the rest of the Western civilized world at Christmas time. And they'd come out of the time machine and they'd probably react like, oh wow, I can't believe that the modern peoples have preserved our religions and customs. They'd probably see a Christmas tree, run over to it, and say, oh, I understand that, and get down on their knees and start bowing to the Christmas tree. Because as we mentioned in the last broadcast, the Christmas tree and December 25th go way back before the time of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You can actually prove that all the accoutrements of Christmas, the date of December 25th, date back to way before the time of Christ and the time of Babylon. Now, there's an interesting book that you can actually pick up called The Two Babylons by Hislop, and he goes into the origins of many of the festivals that we uh, celebrate today, like Christmas and Easter and Halloween, and how they all stand back to the Babylonian mystery religion. And think of it, these people in the time machine would say, isn't it great that they, are, they have preserved our sun worship? Because December 25th is the birthday of the sun god who is called Tammuz or Baal or Solstice Invictus, the invincible sun, Nimrod. And it all goes back to Nimrod, the first king of Babylon. And him and his mother, who was also his wife, started the Babylonian mystery religion. And all mystery cults come from Babylon. So I think that would be an interesting experiment. But this week, we are going to talk about when Christ was actually born. Can we actually find out in the Bible when Christ was actually born? The season, but even more exact, how about the date? Can we find out the actual date of the time of Jesus Christ, of when his actual birth took place? Now we go to the Gospels, and this is the best resource we can find about uh, Jesus Christ and when he was actually born. In Luke, the first chapter, here we see Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and he is 
here in the temple performing his course in Luke, the first chapter, verse 5. It says, in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zechariah of the course of Abijah and his wife of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And it says here, that it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course. Now, that course of Abijah we find in 1 Chronicles, the 24th chapter, verse 10, and that course was the eighth course. And that literally meant the week. Vine's Expository Dictionary actually explains this on page 134. Under course, the word is ephemeria, and it says here, it denotes a class or a course into which the priests were divided for the daily service in the temple, each class serving for seven days. And he references here 1 Chronicles 9.25 in the New Testament, Luke 1, verse 5 and 8. So it literally meant the week. And we see in the Bible that it meant the eighth week. Now we know that the Jews start their calendar in March, April. So the eighth week would have been June. So here we see in June that the angel pronounces to Zechariah that his wife was pregnant. And in verse 23 it says, It came to pass that as soon as he, his days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months. So in June, he finished his week, his wife was pregnant, and she hid herself five months. So from June, five months later, we get to November. And then in verse 26, it says, and in the sixth month, now what, the sixth month of the year? Well, verse 36 makes it more clear what month, what month is meant here. It says, when the angel came to Mary, it says, Behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. So when it says the sixth month in verse 26, it means the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So this is December. We get to December. And in December... The Annunciation took place from Gabriel to Mary, saying that the Holy Ghost, verse 35, shall come upon you, and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Then we skip on to verse 39. It says, In those days Mary went to visit Elizabeth, and it says it came to pass, verse 41, that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she said, Blessed are you that are among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. So she was pregnant in the sixth month of December. Now, of course, we count nine months later, the regular period of pregnancy, and we get to September. So she conceived in December, and she gave birth in September. And Jesus Christ was born in September. Now let's go on to verse uh, chapter 2 of Luke. 
and we'll read of the birth of Christ. And it says here that when she brought forth her firstborn son, verse 7, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And that's very interesting. I'll get to that a little bit later. Verse 8, it says that in the same country there were shepherds abiding in the fields watching over their flock by night. Here is another indication that, that the birth of Christ did not take place in the winter time. Actually, Palestine was actually quite a cold place in the winter time. Uh, Jesus Christ said in Matthew the 24th chapter, verse 20, Pray ye that your flight be not in the winter nor on the Sabbath day. And even Jeremiah talks about the snow of Lebanon and so on. So it was a very cold place in the winter. But the shepherds were abiding in their fields by night, watching over their flocks, and that never took place in the winter time. Let me read you what Bullinger's Companion Bible says here in Appendix 179, and that's on page 199. He speaks here, the main argument against the nativity having taken place in December may be set forth very simply. The extreme improbability amounting almost to impossibility that Mary under such circumstances could have undertaken a journey about 70 miles as the crow flies through a hill district averaging some 3,000 feet above sea level in the depth of winter. Shepherds and their flocks would not be found abiding in the open fields at night in December for the paramount reason that there would be no pasturage at that time. And it was the custom then, as now, to withdraw the flocks during the month of October and November from the open districts and house them for the winter time. So, it was most likely, and it is likely when we follow the chronology that we just established here in Luke of Zechariah and the birth of John the Baptist, that Jesus was born before the winter in September, during the time of the latter harvest. Another indication, Bullinger says here, is of course the census taking that we read of in the Gospels of the census being taken and it says the Roman authorities, in imposing such a census for the hated and unpopular foreign tax, would not have enforced the imperial decree, and that's in Luke the second chapter, verse 1, at the most inconvenient and inclement season of the year by compelling the people to enroll themselves at their respective cities in December. In such a case... There would naturally, they would naturally choose the line of it of least resistance, a select time of year that would cause least friction and interference with the habits and pursuits of the Jewish people. This would be in the autumn when the agricultural round of the year was complete and the people generally more or less at liberty to take advantage as we know many did of the opportunity of going up to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, the crowning feast of the Jewish year. So even the census tells us that it did not take place in the winter time, but it would have taken place at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. 
Now, did Jesus, was Jesus born at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles? Well, let's go on a little more, and let's go on with this story, the birth of Christ first, and we'll deal with that subject a little bit later. So here at the birth of Christ, we see a babe lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, and the shepherds came to them, came to him, and the angels rejoiced that the Christ was finally born. Now, of course, in this scene, we see in the movies and on television and, of course, on Christmas cards, three wise men at this time coming to Christ and presenting unto him gifts. But did the wise men actually visit Christ at that time? Now, we don't read it in the book of Luke, but we do read it in the book of Matthew about the wise men. Did they visit Christ that night when he was born? Let's go to Matthew, the second chapter. Matthew, the second chapter. And here it says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Now this is very interesting because the wise men were magi and they were priests of the nation of Parthia. And there were two superpowers of that day, Rome in the west Parthia in the east. And these two superpowers collided many times, but at this time there was a peace. A fragile peace, but there was a peace. And these magi, these priests, were uh, of a ruling class in Parthia, and they kept track of the royal family. And the royal family of Parthia, if you read our booklet, The United States and Britain in Prophecy, we prove to you that the Parthians were actually of the lost ten tribes of Israel. And these magi were the priests. And these priests kept genealogical records, like we read in the Bible, of the royal house of David. Because God says that there would never fail of David to rule over the house of Israel on that throne. And he would have that position of power of ruling over the house of Israel. And he did in the days of Parthia as well as now with Queen Elizabeth. But the royal family was almost obliterated. obliterated. So they were looking for royal blood. And this is why they came to Jesus. Because they knew that the king from David was going to be born. They knew the Old Testament prophecies. Now... There's a book I would like to recommend to you that deals with this subject in great detail, The Lost Ten Tribes of Israel Found by Stephen Collins. And I urge you to read that chapter on the birth of Christ. Very, very interesting. Puts the background to what's going on here. And you know that the birth of Christ almost sparked a war between Rome and Parthia with the visit of the Magi. But I'm getting a little too far off topic. Maybe we'll deal with this uh, subject another broadcast. But first, I want to offer you this free booklet, Is Christmas Christian? And it will go through all the origins of Christmas and all the decorations. And it also shows you when Jesus was actually born. Bill Pizzinas will give you the address and where you can write to us and, of course, our web address on how you can contact us and download that booklet absolutely free of charge. 
To get your free CD-ROMs, please write to us at British Israel Church of God, 171 West Barbara Avenue, Parump, Nevada, postal code 89060, or log on to our website at www.britishisrael.ca. All right, thank you, Bill. Don't forget to log on to our website, BritishIsrael.ca, and download that booklet absolutely free of charge. Let's go back to the story here in Matthew, the second chapter, and find out when the wise men actually visited Christ. Did they visit him that night when he was born? Let's see what the Bible says. Let's go to verse 9. It says, When they heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them. Now this, a lot of people think it was a literal star in the sky, but no, it was a, an angel. There are other scriptures that say, that describe angels as stars, and this star went before them, so they were following an angel, till it came, and quote, stood over where the young child was. Not a babe in swaddling clothes, a young child. So Jesus right now is a young child, not a babe. But let's go on. It says here, When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding joy. And when they were come into the house, not a manger, you know, not a cave, they came into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. So they came into a house. How old was Jesus approximately here? Well, let's read on. It says they gave and presented unto him gifts. They presented unto who? To each other, right? Wrong, absolutely wrong. A lot of people think that the exchanging of gifts originated here with the wise men, but they didn't give gifts to each other and say, what do you got there, Harry? Well, I got some gold. What do you got there, uh, uh uh, Frank, what do you have there? Well, I got some frankincense. Well, what do you got there, Bob? Well, I got some myrrh. And then exchange gifts among themselves and leave Christ saying they're going, but, but, but. They didn't exchange gifts among themselves. They gave gifts to Christ. And they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, a little later on, here we see Herod, Finding out that the wise men mocked him, verse 16, he was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. So Jesus, when they visited Jesus, he had to be at least a year old. Something you probably never thought of before. The wise men didn't come that night when he was born, but came about a year later and came to his house where he was dwelling and fell down and worshipped Christ. So now we know from the Bible when Jesus was actually born. What month? He was born in September. In the winter time, the shepherds could not have been abiding in the fields, watching over their flocks by night. But by November, they were already in the sheep coat. We see with the chronology of John the Baptist, and when he was born, conceived, born, and when Mary was conceived, and when Jesus was born, it happened in September. And 
The census most likely took place on the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's interesting, it says there was no room in the inn when, when Jesus was born that night. Why was the Feast of Tabernacles going on? Is there scriptures in the Bible that show that Jesus was actually born on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles? Let's go to John, the first chapter. Here, John describes Christ, the pre-existent Christ, as the Logos, or the spokesman, who was with God and was God. In verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. That Word is Logos in the Aramaic it's memory, and it means spokesman. And we read in the Old Testament, the angel, or the messenger of the Lord, who called himself God, and it's the same, one and the same person. That was Christ in the Old Testament. But the Logos in the New Testament, and it's Christ. He was with God, and he was God. Then it speaks of his creation, his creative power, and so on. And in verse 14... It says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That day, the word was made flesh and he dwelt, and that word dwelt should read tabernacled. He tabernacled among us. Let's go back to the Dr. Bullinger's Appendix 179, and it says this about this particular scripture, this verse... This verse says, the paragraph should read thus, And the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. The word tabernacle, here preserved in the RV margin, receives beautiful significance from the knowledge that the Lord of glory was found in fashion as a man, and thus tabernacling in the human flesh. And it, in turn it shows in equally beautiful significance that our Lord was born on the first day of the great Jewish feast of tabernacles. The 15th of Tishri, corresponding to September 29th, 4 BC, in our modern reckoning. Why would the Bible use that kind of language of God tabernacling in the human flesh if he was not born on the first day of the feast of tabernacles? Now in 1 Kings, on the Feast of Tabernacles, Solomon's Prayer. Look what he says here on the Feast of Tabernacles when they were dedicating the, the temple and the Shekinah glory came to the temple and dwelt, God dwelling in his temple in Jerusalem. Verse 27 of, verse, of 1 Kings 8, he says this, Solomon. It says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and heavens of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have builded. And then, of course, the Shekinah glory came, and God dwelt in spirit in his tabernacle, his temple. Here, Solomon saying, Will God indeed dwell on the earth, and he said it on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus was born on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles. It is very significant, and it points. 
to the very purpose and program of God, of the Feast of Tabernacles, of God tabernacling in the human flesh in a temporary body, a temporary domicile, and of course died in that tabernacle, but then that tabernacle was raised in a permanent home, his spirit body, and in that spirit body he lives forever, his permanent home, in his spirit body. And that is the whole purpose of the Feast of Tabernacles. And we will talk about the significance of the Feast of Tabernacles in other broadcasts. But the true birth of Jesus Christ, it's only right for it to be placed on one of God's high holy days. And of course on the day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the time when God dwells on the earth and he tabernacled among us. And there's lots of rich symbolism and purpose to Jesus Christ being born on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And you can look at the Feast of Tabernacles and see the purpose and significance of all of that, not just with Christ, but with his church, with, of course, human beings dwelling in temporary domiciles, dwelling in the wilderness, meaning this world, till eventually they put on their permanent homes, their permanent bodies, and dwell in their permanent home in the kingdom of God. And that is the whole purpose of the Feast of Tabernacles. And we got a couple of articles on our website that talk about that particular feast and other feasts of the Passover, the Days of Unleavened Bread, and so on. And why Christians should keep these festivals, because they are rich, Christ-centered, New Testament-oriented, and when you look at the feasts that Christians keep today of Easter and Christmas, you see a baby, and then we skip on and we see Jesus Christ dying on the cross. And everything in the middle is omitted. All the rich symbolism, the meaning, the purpose and program of human life, of redemption, salvation, and entering into the kingdom of God is left out between Easter and Christmas. We see Christ dying on the cross and resurrected. Fine, that's in the Bible and so on. And we see Jesus Christ born. And everything else in the middle is omitted. It's a shame. Because we would find out more about the purpose and program of Almighty God if we followed the festivals of Almighty God that we read of in Leviticus 23rd chapter of the Passover, the Days of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks and Tabernacles, the Day of Atonement, and what they all mean, and how they're all Christ-centered, and all the rich symbolism and how it points to salvation, redemption, and the Kingdom of God. It's amazing. But now, with the little time that I have left, I'd like to talk about Christmas, and does Christmas have anything to do with the mark of the beast? Now, we see the mark of the beast in Revelation, the 13th chapter, and it's on your forehead and hands. But we also see a mark. Now, man interprets it as some sort of computer chip that goes on your hand and forehead and it can track you with some sort of computer in Brussels called the beast. But that's man's interpretation of scripture. We only find one other place in the Bible that talks about the mark that's on your right hand and forehead. And that is God's mark 
of his law, his Sabbaths, and his weekly Sabbath. And that's in Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, here we see, Hear, O Israel, the Shema, the Lord our God is one Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. All these words I command you this day shall be in thine heart. And it says you shall bind them for a sign or a mark. It's the same word. Upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. God's law. And in other places, it is God's Sabbath. Exodus, the 31st chapter, verse 13, it says, Speak unto the children of Israel and say, Verily my Sabbaths, that's God's weekly Sabbath, and his annual Sabbath, the Passover, the days of unleavened bread, and so on, shall ye keep. For it is a sign, a mark, between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that the Lord does sanctify you. Isn't it interesting that the mark of the beast is the beast's Sabbaths and holy days, Rome's state religion of Christmas and Easter, as opposed to God's mark of the Passover, the Days of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Tabernacles, and God's weekly Sabbath day. I urge you to read that booklet and get full information on what is the mark of the beast. This is Peter Salemi saying goodbye, friends, and I'll see you here next time on the Watchman Program. All our literature is offered free of charge. Write to us at British Israel Church of God, 171 West Barbara Avenue, Pahrump, Nevada, postal code 89060. Our website address is www.britishisrael.ca. This is Bill Pizzinas saying goodbye, friends.